0: Yo, Jen, what's up? Whoa, (laughs) that's a lot. That's a lot. Had to change it up. The cheesy, hi, Jen, which is so weird because we don't talk that way. We don't talk that way. And our audience doesn't know this. So I'm going to let them in on a secret is that we record these intros usually after we've done some other recordings so we've already been talking for like an hour to an hour and a half sometimes two hours and then we do these intros where we pretend that we just started talking um and so that's why you always get the cheesy hi Jen so I wanted to like shake things up I'm like yo what's up <laughs>
1: so we'll be like in the middle of a conversation and then one of us is like okay we need to get this started
0: and like bust <laughs> in with the like hey yeah <laughs> me with jazz hands I'm not going to lie. I thought about that all day. I'm like, I'm going to say, yo, what's up?
1: <laughs> I, I, oh my God. I love that. I love that you thought about that all day. Like, so clearly you did not have a very stimulating day at work today. Apparently <laughs> not. Um, uh, can I tell you something that I'm super excited about? Yes. this doesn't relate to any of this. So I take heels dance classes. If you follow me on Instagram, you will know this like my, my personal account. And if you don't, I take heels dance classes. It's one of the things that I do for myself that we talk about self-care. It's a self-care thing for me and the company that I dance with, we're putting on our first show. And I have personally not performed on a stage in a show in, it will have been 20 years when we- (gasps)
0: yay when's the show can I come like yes, yes. you can
1: you can it's so fun it's, it's. I'm gonna shout them out your dance class YDC by the time this episode comes out it could be sold out so I apologize for you if it is but it's gonna be like a dance show and they'll they will be like dance performances and they'll probably bring in like outside like singers or bands or you know other choreographers to showcase their own stuff too and it'll be just like a kind of variety show-esque kind of thing, but there'll be a
0: theme, and... Awesome. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. I love it. Yes. You want to know what else? What? This is our final episode of season two. Everyone's about to listen to. Yeah, that I think I said at the beginning of season of season two that we're going to
1: switch it up and take a couple of breaks throughout the year, and so we're coming into our first break, so we're calling this the end of season two because it's our show and we can do that. (laughs) Yep.
0: We sure can. And then we'll take April off from these regular weekly episodes, but you can go over on Patreon and listen to some extra stuff over there should you wish. And then we'll be back again in May and we've already recorded some of those episodes and I'm really excited. And we exactly. have some other incredible guests who are booked that I don't want to tell you about yet because we haven't actually recorded,
1: but... We're very exciting. We're going to be coming back with a bang with a month devoted to
0: mothers. We're going yes. on another theme month. Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have Mandy who's coming back. She talked to us about struggling with bulimia, but she's going to come back and talk to us about the loss of her mother. Yeah. And we have... Nova Reeves. Nova Reeves.
1: Yeah. Who had a very complicated relationship with her mother and her mother also was killed by the Green River Killer, the Green River Killer for those people who are into that kind of stuff.
0: Yep. Was killed by a serial killer. yep, Yeah. And some other things. Yeah. It's going to be great. We have Megan who's going to talk to us about child loss Mm -hmm. because she had a toddler who died. And we have someone else booked, but they haven't recorded yet. So that's going to be a secret.
1: Yeah, Shh. we don't because you know, life happens. And sometimes that stuff doesn't work out. So we're not gonna tell we'll you. That see. But if you are missing, you're gonna have us, to listen. You're gonna have to listen. <laughs> if you are missing us in April, I got a little birdie told me that an episode where we guested on another show called we should not we should talk about that um will be out in April so make sure to follow us on social we will let you know and all of that enjoy enjoy oh and enjoy Marcy's episode actually it kind of goes in line with the whole mother of May theme because we talk a little bit about motherhood Mm -hmm. in her story
0: Hi, I'm Jen and welcome back to Now What? And I'm Tisha, thank you so much for listening. Today we are being joined by Marcy Warhaft, who is a body image and self-esteem expert. And she is also the author of a book which is called um, The Good Stripper, which is a memoir of, um, I guess the story we're gonna kind of talk about today. So welcome Marcy. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. I mean, the title of your book is like, I, I want to I want to know about that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to
2: give the whole title because you're kind of missing that. So it's The Good for A Soccer Mom's Memoir of Lies, Loss, and Not Dances.
1: Yes. yes. Still want to Sorry. know about it.
0: <laughs> um, actually, maybe even more with that. So can you maybe just start us off like, maybe a little bit about um, like your childhood and growing up? Sure. Yeah. So my childhood
2: um, in a nutshell really was kind of average at first. I I had a, when I look back, I think I had a good childhood. It it started off, it started off really good. I was the youngest of three kids, older brother, older sister. My parents were together and I guess we were sort of middle-class and I was a very confident kid. I was I felt very loved and very protected and mm-hmm. I was very very close with my mom and my older brother and I was a kid who I was athletic and I loved playing sports but I was also a little performer and I would dance and I would sing and I would I would be in the camp plays and then the the community shows and school plays and things like that and I was also very very opinionated and I was told at a very young age by my mom that I had a voice and I had an opinion and I had the right to use it. And she helped me grow up believing that I could do anything. Really. I, nothing intimidated me. No, nobody intimidated me. And I really, I had a ton of confidence and self-esteem and that was great. And so I really, until I was, hmm. I mean, to say, I always say I peaked when I was 10. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was on fire and then sort of the first blow came when I was 10 and my parents got divorced and divorce isn't it's not that the divorce was so traumatizing because it wasn't but at the time this was 1980 so I was the first kid in my elementary school whose parents got divorced so it it wasn't like it is now I mean it was it was a it was a big deal but also because my father didn't want to be a father and so Mm -hmm. he left and didn't want anything to do with his kids, which made it very difficult for my mom, raising three kids Mm -hmm. on her own. And and that was was tough. However, I was lucky that my mother was so spectacular that when he left, I I mean, I don't have that many memories of my father when I was growing up because I don't feel like he was such a big participant, whereas I have a million of the rest of my family. So when he left, the rest of us got even closer. So things were still good. And my brother, who was is five years older than me, he kind of took over as man of the house in the sense that he was my protector. Mm-hmm. I always say that my brother was the invisible armor that I wore out in the world to protect me. And my mom was my safe place to come home to. So I, I, I felt safe when I was out of the house and I felt safe to come home. Right. And so I was good. I was good. And then when I was 17, my brother got sick. And when he, I was 17, he was 21 and he passed away. And that completely changed my life. That changed me as a person. It changed the entire course of my life. And it set me on a path that I was not prepared for, for so many reasons. And that, so I I always say that my brother's death gave birth to my eating disorder because I developed an eating disorder while he was sick. And then it just intensified after he died. And, and the problem is I was going through this, this kid who was so self-assured and so self-confident. All of a sudden, I felt terrified of the world. My protection was gone. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I deserved to be there. I felt it should have been me. I felt the world needed him more than it needed me. And I could never measure up or be what he would have been to the world. So I didn't think I deserved to be here. Mm-hmm. And I carried that with me for decades, that I'll never be good enough. And I had no reason to think that, you know, again, my mom was telling me that I was important and valid and, and worthy. It just was this thing in me. It was this 17 year old brain that couldn't handle such a big loss that I just, Mm -hmm. I, I turned it inward. Now, because of that, I think I went into the rest of my life on very, very shaky ground. So I feel that when you have very low self-esteem, trying to move forward in life is like trying to build a house on quicksand. Like you just don't have that foundation. And I think mm-hmm. I was set up for, um, to make choices that were in my best interest. And I, I was had gotten to a theater school and I, I quit, the, quit school and um, got very down on myself. And then I moved cities and, I mean, there's so much, it's, it's such a, a tough thing, but I just fast forward a little bit. I got married, um, I had children and really tried to move forward in my life, but life <laughs> life kept hitting me with mm-hmm. sucker punches. Like it just, it kept hitting me with trauma after trauma after trauma. I mean, from when my brother passed away, um, then I, I I got married and, <sighs> Got pregnant, had a miscarriage, got pregnant, had a miscarriage, got pregnant again while I'm pregnant and, and can't wait to, to share the experience with my mom. My mom passes away and that was a shock to me and then mm-hmm. delivered my son early and then I got sick and then uh, I lost another baby and it was just, it was so much that it, coming. it just kept coming and what ended up happening was I had gotten very sick when I was 30. 29 29 turning 30 very sick just a weird thing had happened with an antibiotic i had taken and i was pregnant at the time and i spent a few months in the hospital
0: of wow. fighting for my
2: life kidney failure respiratory failure wow. um 25 chance of survival intubated for two and a half weeks like it was it was bad news but i got through that and um my husband at the time was very supportive during all that and i had a 16 month old at home and Once I came out of that, I got pregnant again and had my second miracle baby and that was fantastic. But I think because of everything I had gone through in my life up to that point, both physically and emotionally, there's only so much that a human being can go through before something just breaks. And Mm -hmm. I was told, by a therapist once that I had experienced something called traumatic overload, where you just can't handle anymore. And it was at that time when my husband had decided he had brought up a few times in our marriage before that to change the dynamic of our marriage, to open things up sexually. And I wasn't on board with that. Um, we had a very fulfilling sex life, but he wanted more and I what didn't. I mean, I was still dealing with my body image issues too and had two babies and, Mm -hmm. um, but it was at this time, again, it was about a year after I'd I'd gotten out of the hospital and had another baby and then he brought it up again. And at this point, something I was going through this traumatic overload, I wasn't feeling right. I remember calling my doctor who had helped me um, when I was pregnant saying, I don't, something's not right with me. Like I knew I wasn't, I was off kilter. Um, and, and I believe that that my husband thought it would be a good time to bring it up again. And, and I won't get into details because I think, you know, I, I do in the book. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's reason to read it. <laughs> but um, I don't feel that I had the confidence or the strength mm-hmm. or the wherewithal to say no.
0: You were I vulnerable.
2: I was never for, I mean, it's very important that I say, it was never an abusive situation. I was never forced. It was never anything like that. But I didn't have my mother. I didn't have my brother. Um, At this point, I mean, I'd reconnected with my father briefly but he had died as well. Uh, My sister and I were estranged. We hadn't spoken in years. I didn't have anybody. And so all I had was my partner. And so, and I had these toddlers. At home and, and I really did put my faith into my partner. I was struggling with my self-confidence. I was still dealing with a horrible eating disorder. So I was starving myself. Uh, it, I, it was not a great place for me. Mm-hmm. I remember I had just gotten, gotten through literally fighting for my life in the hospital just a couple of years earlier. So we did, we, we opened up our marriage and that for me, I, I call it sort of my crazy time because I really lost myself in that time. It was a very, I I look back on it and it was a few years of just, uh, I, I would literally look in the mirror and say, who are you out loud? I did not recognize myself and I made choices that I regretted uh, that. And I felt so bad about some of the things that I had done that I would punish myself by continuing to do them. I would almost punish myself. I I used, I will tell you, I find a a bit, there's a lot of commonalities between food and sex, especially with me. I was, you can, they can both be very pleasurable, Mm -hmm. but I also abused myself with both of them. Mm -hmm. And I would find that when I was acting out sexually, I would either punish myself by continuing to, to, to be with somebody that I know didn't think very much of me because i was thinking to myself but you're already such a terrible person i needed to prove to myself how bad i was or i would then binge on food after being with somebody to the point where i was in pain because again i was punishing myself mm-hmm. so it was a very dark time for me and there was an incident that happened which i again i'm not going to give everything but it was a i got a big i'll say slap in the face that uh, figuratively that got me out of that, that made me say, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I started to get healthy again. And, and that meant, you know, telling my husband, we're not doing any of that. It meant going to recovery program for my eating disorder. And, and I did, I, I, I got healthy, but um, <laughs> but I never dealt with the, the shame and the guilt that I felt over the things that I did. And that followed me. And here I was, I had developed this, this uh, body image program for kids. I was speaking at schools. I was on TV all the time talking about this. I was writing articles for magazines and for newspaper. And there was a part of me that thought they're going to find out the world is going to see. I'm not, they all think I'm a good person. They're going to see I'm not a good person. And my marriage wasn't great. We had our kids that we were both really focused on, which is great. We mm-hmm. didn't really have to deal with each other. I felt incredibly unloved and alone And it took its toll on me again. And I relapsed into everything, not the sex, but food stuff. And just feeling like I can't, it took me back to where I was when my brother died. We're thinking, I shouldn't be here. I don't deserve to be here. And I thought about that. And I had these two kids who needed me and I fought my way back from that again. And and I had to make some really serious choices. Okay, how am I going to get through the rest of my life? Because I, I needed to get through the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. and I, and I did and I I left my marriage and then started the next phase of my life. And and it's only been, it's only been, I'm going to say about six years since I've really been okay or on the path to, Mm -hmm. to being okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a a lot.
1: (laughs) And that wasn't a a nutshell. I mean, I didn't get into, but yeah. Just going back. To when your your brother died, and just the way grief just changes you completely, and it doesn't matter completely. how old you are or where you are in life or anything,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like it changes you to your core. To this day, I'm forever yeah. changed. Yeah. To this day, and and especially because he was someone who was just like you. You described him as your armor, like you know that's it was an important relationship. So so. It's not surprising that your life would be changed to me, it's, that it would be changed so much. And I could see, because we've, had, we've talked to quite a few women who have struggled with body image and eating disorders, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of that is about control. And you had to be completely out of control as your brother was sick and dying and then died. So, I mean, that, that also, it doesn't seem like a, that far of a leap that that would be a way to re, like, take some control back in your life. And I knew it too.
2: I mean, it's funny because to me, so my brother had, he'd been born with a hereditary liver disease, but we didn't know that. We didn't have any symptoms until he got, he was older. So it wasn't, we weren't prepared. I was literally in the middle of writing my final English exam in school when my vice principal walked into my room and came to my desk and took my papers and said, come with me. And that's when my brother had died. And so I was not, I wasn't expecting it, but, and I say this often and and it's the truth is that the moment before I was told that Billy died was the last moment I felt safe and protected for decades. Mm -hmm. Probably it was probably, I, I don't know that I've ever felt completely safe since then and then a few years later losing my mom I mean it's been very very challenging you know to to I I I was thinking today actually that I that I often feel like that that losing them is feeling like I'm three years old and I'm in a a brand new amusement park and I let go of my mother's hand by mistake and now I can't find her that's Mm -hmm. what it still feels like sometimes and I'm going to be 52 in a couple of months you know but with going back to the control thing I remember I go to the hospital and people would bring food because that's what people do. right? I mean, Mm -hmm, (laughs) people bring food, whether it's for a good occasion or a bad occasion. And it was a weird thing where I thought I'm not going to eat it. Like it was like, I'm going to do something because I felt like I was so helpless. What I needed to do something. And it was the only thing I could do Mm -hmm. was to just not eat. And then um, I think again, when you realize when he died and you realize, Oh my God, I have no, control over my life like anything bad can happen at any moment and yeah the only the only thing you can the only thing I could control was my body that was the only thing I could control yeah so Mm. I could control what I ate or what I didn't eat like that that was it so I was holding on to that plus it, it was a distraction because the thought walking past his room to go to my room I mean the the empty room it's just it's it's too much so I'd rather focus on my empty stomach than Billy's yeah. empty room yeah
0: were you still struggling with the the disordered eating when you got married I was I was because I didn't go into my treatment program
2: until I was in my 30s so I had kids by then however it's a very deceiving because it would tell me that I don't have a disorder and so when I met him, I remember saying I used to have an eating disorder and I, that's what I thought. I, I wasn't lying. I thought that I used there because there were periods of time when I would feel a bit of a reprieve or I would just, I was still eating poorly or, or exercising too much or whatever, but I didn't recognize that. So I thought I was okay. Mm-hmm. And then I remember living together and I would do crazy things with food. I even talk about it in my book just crazy things with food. And then we, I, when we had kids, I, it was really important to me that I enjoyed my pregnancies. So I was actually good when I was pregnant. Like I ate what I needed to eat. And I remember, <laughs> I remember before I got pregnant, I had this vision of being one of those women who are like at the gym, running on the treadmill until they're like, Oh, I'm in labor. And then like <laughs> jogging to the hospital. And so <laughs> And then popping out the baby and then jumping back on the treadmill. That's what I thought. And then I had two miscarriages. And when I got pregnant again, my doctor was like, nope. You know, she's like, it's healthier to be a little heavier than underweight. And it was, I wasn't allowed to go to the gym. And it was like, eat whatever you want. And I was okay with that though, because I really wanted a healthy baby. So during my pregnancies, I took care of myself. I mean, horribly, I was pregnant when my mom died. So you know, that, that made things challenging, but it was also, it was interesting because I remember thinking that if I wasn't pregnant, I'm sure that I would have been like, yes, my eating disorder would have been raging because it was another thing I couldn't control. And it was another horrible blow, mm-hmm. but because I was pregnant, I couldn't you had to go there. Yeah. I couldn't go there. Careful. Yeah. I had to, I really had to, t- to take care of him. Um, so yeah. Uh, I think I lost my train of thought
1: there too. Well it's, it's, well, it's interesting hearing you talk about when you were 17, your brother died and, and, and you know, all I can think of, because I don't know, my story is I'm a widow and um, my husband died at work. So very sudden, very unexpected. And I mean, I probably wouldn't have gotten through the first year or more without having had my kids. You know, like having that, um, something to, to, to keep you going from dating, like keep you moving forward. Focus, right? Yeah, to focus on um, other than your loss. And like that's what your eating disorder provided you with your brother. And then you, it's almost like, thank God you were pregnant, as painful as that must have been um, mm-hmm. when your mother died. Because you you had this, this reason and you wanted for him so badly. Right. So it's just, it's
0: people find all sorts of distractions. I think when they're grieving sometimes or in pain for other reasons, like things that they might turn to. And I guess in your case, it was, it was eating, but for other people, it's, you know, for me, it was every,
2: right. It was, well, that was the interesting thing because I kind of joke that when I did, when I was acting out sexually and, and when I was dancing and I didn't dance, I didn't strip for that long at all. It was a few months, but it was significant. It was a significant time in my life. It's funny because I, I, I didn't turn to to alcohol. I didn't turn to, like the whole time that I was acting out, I never had a sip of alcohol. Like I, had, I was this married mother of two putting my kids to bed. I was with my kids all day. I would put them to bed, drive to the club, strip leave the club at three o'clock in the morning get home change my clothes go to the gym work out go to the 24-hour grocery store to pick up whatever I need to pick up come back and then take a shower and be up with my kids and I would be up for two days
0: yeah I'm like when do you sleep in there I didn't
2: I didn't I didn't I didn't and uh, and I don't remember. It's, it's funny. I remember that was one thing that did bother my ex-husband because he, he. I remember him telling me that, you know, the days that you don't sleep, those are days that are off your life at the end. Like it you no know, was really super unhealthy. And at the time I'm telling you, I didn't have a drug. I didn't have a sip of alcohol, nothing. It was, <laughs> I was running on fumes. I always say it was pure trauma that was doing yeah. it. Um, but it was, and, and, and I knew too, that, that again, my, my food and sex were so intertwined that, I was afraid to stop acting out sexually because then I thought I'm going to start eating again. So it was like, it was going to be, I was going to be in excess doing something in excess. And it was going to be one of those two things. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm going back to grief. I was just talking about this yesterday. I don't think people realize, I mean, look, a lot of many of us have been through grief. I mean, that's, the, it's a part of life, the older we get too. But I just, I think there are some times when it, it, it affects us so deeply. And I think it's one of those things that other people are so uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. So it makes your grief makes other people's because I think people are so afraid putting themselves in that situation, right? Like they don't want to think, oh my God, I'm, I'm uncomfortable talking to her because I don't want to imagine what it'd be like if I lost my husband or I lost my brother or I lost my... It makes people very uncomfortable. And because of that, we're afraid to share how we feel. Because of that, I, I think there's also this fear of, oh my God, if I really feel it, I'm never going to stop feeling it. And so there's so many things that keep us from feeling it. But that, it's the worst thing. Because as you said, it's going to come out. Like it's, it's going to come out if we don't deal with it. And you might not, Rhett, Look, it could be somebody who, who works themselves to death and they're super successful, but they're avoiding something also so it's, it's yeah. and, and the other thing that I, that I really noticed for the first time, I really, really recognized it when I was writing my book is that I wrote it pretty quickly. I, I mean, it's all I did. I just, I, I didn't leave my, my house, but I wrote it in about seven months and I had never been in so much physical pain while I was writing it. And I realized that I was writing about 40 something plus years of trauma in just a few months. And so <laughs> And when you write, you can't just I had gotten used to telling parts of my story. I could tell it and not feel it. But when you're writing it, you you Mm. have to you have to feel it so people feel it. And so I had all this scar tissue over my heart. And then I had to open it up to go back in there. And I physically was feeling the emotional pain that I felt over those years. And it 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 wasn't until I had taken a break for a week to visit a friend in, in Vancouver and I didn't have pain that week. And I thought, huh, <laughs> Like I haven't written and I'm okay. <laughs> but it, it's it's, that, it's stress and it's, it's sadness and it's all this stuff that really, it manifests. Like it, you feel it in your, in your core, in your body. So if we don't deal with it and face it and be able to move on a little bit, then it does damage. Mm. And I think our society is just so afraid of, we're still, I don't care what we see on social media, we're still afraid of feeling feelings. We're still afraid of showing feelings um and so I refuse like I just refuse to hide that stuff like I I'm very like this is it this is who I am and and sometimes I feel great and sometimes I don't and sometimes I'm pissed off and sometimes I'm dancing in the street like that's just who I am you know because I know (laughs) like I feel everything big like whatever I'm feeling I feel it and and I and I need to whether it's a good feeling I go with it and if it's a bad feeling then I go okay it's gonna be that kind of day and I have to go with that too Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so when you were like stripping, your husband knew what you were doing, obviously. Was this
1: like when your marriage was open that you started doing this? Well, it wasn't or? really
2: open. I don't think it was, um, we were swinging, doing that thing. And then I kind of went rogue. And when my thing was, my thing, like he wanted to do things sort of together, um, which we did. But I felt very in love and i felt especially after everything i'd been through i felt like i felt like i wanted to be I, I i again it goes back to not feeling safe or protected and i guess you don't want your partner to be obsessive or possessive but i would have much rather him have hold me closer especially seeing that i was going through this difficult time instead of saying hey i want you to be with that person or i want you to be with that person like that didn't feel good to me yeah so i really felt like that's all i was like that's all i was good for and it went back to again when i lost my brother it was well what am i good for so at that point when billy died it was well i can i'm not smart enough or funny enough or interesting enough maybe i'll be pretty enough and that meant skinny enough at that time yeah. so this time well if if he doesn't want me if he doesn't care then I, I guess if people want desire me, I guess I could go for that. I know they don't give it. I don't care about me. These men, right. but if they think I'm hot, then I'll, I'll, at least I'll feel that for a little. There's bit. validation yeah. there. There's a little bit of validation, even though I felt it wasn't like you think. It's like the food. You think it's going to help. You think it's going to be empowering, but it really isn't. Right.
0: Sometimes we look outward for that validation, or we're doing things because we think they're going to make us feel better, and they don't. right Like you're getting this validation because people think you're you're hot and you're sexy and you're desirable and but it wasn't actually fulfilling you.
2: I also wanted to feel like I had a little bit of control. We're going back to the, the thing about control. yeah, right So here I felt like I felt it was this rebel in me that I always say I wish I wish I wish I had been in a place in my life where the rebel would have said, No, like I don't, instead of it, what, what, what the rebellious part of me did was it said to my husband without saying to him, it was, you want me to do this, but he was in control of that. And instead, so my brain was, that's what I was just, you want me to sleep with other people. Okay. Well then I'm going to go off and do, and that, so that was it. Um, I wish that it would have been me saying, I don't want to do this. And if that's what you want, then it's just ended it. Like, it's just not going to be. Right. But I didn't, and so because again, I just that's all I thought I was worth. So instead, it was I'm going to try to be the best mother I can be. And so I, I, I did. I, I was just with them, and I wanted because I had lost my mother young, because I had almost died, because I knew the life was short. I had this thing in my head where I don't know how. Long, I still I don't know how long I'll be here. I don't know if I've got a week or thirty years. I don't know. So I wanted to make sure that every memory that they had with me was fantastic. Like I just wanted to do everything. And so there was that part of me, but then there was the other part that was, okay, so that's what I'm gonna be for them. And then for me, I'm going to live this other, if I can't be, again, if I can't be loved, maybe I could be desired and, and be valid that way. So I was like this, trying to be super mom and this kind of vixen sex toy thing. Um, and it just, I mean, there was no way that it could last forever and it, and it didn't. And like I said, it took its toll on me, but it was me feeling like I'll show you, you know, you wanted Mm -hmm. me to be with other people. I didn't want to be with other people, but you wanted me with other people. Okay. (laughs) Try to control this, you know?
1: Yeah. That's what I was thinking actually, when, when you, when you were saying it, I'm like, it's like, okay, you think you're in charge of this? No, I'm in
0: charge of this. That's right. But, but I wasn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So I imagine, like, I can't even imagine living your life in that way, even though you said it was short-lived. And, and to me, it's like, well, of course it was going to be short-lived because you're not sleeping. Mm -hmm. The dancing part was a few months, but the other part was a few years. No. Yeah. Like the the dancing and the not sleeping and, um, That to me is just so wild. I'm sorry. But can I just say one thing that's really funny to me? I have to
2: say this. When I wrote the book and I released it, I was really afraid of um, people judging me. And I I remember I've done a few book clubs. And it's so funny to me because when I've done a book club, when I've done book clubs and it was moms that Mm -hmm. were there, That's the one, like, I always expected them to ask me about, because I was a married man, and to ask me about all these, like, I've always braced myself for, like, the tough questions. But the (laughs) the one question I always get is, how did you not sleep? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, I sleep and I'm so tired. (laughs) Yeah. Well, So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You must have been just so exhausted. But
2: I wasn't. Like, yeah, that was, and I thought, I'm sure that, but the people at school must think I'm on something because I, I was, I was like, I would go, I belong to two 24 hour gyms because one of them had the audacity to like close early on Sundays and on Christmas. And I couldn't have that. <laughs> so I would, I would, I would go at two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning or like, I just, I had tons of energy. And then there was a point when during all this too, um, because I had had, when I was sick, I'd had multiple surgeries, like some major surgeries and it had caused some complications and I had had chronic pain for a few years and I was put on heavy duty narcotics for a few years. And I remember going to, I hated. I, I was on a, a copious amounts of OxyContin for three years. And I went, I remember going to uh, a pain specialist because I hated being on it. I'm not a drug person at all. And I... <laughs> I said to him, like, I don't, I don't like it. I don't want to be on it. And he said to me, you are on an SL dose of OxyContin. And I said, what is that? He said, a shitload. (laughs) He said, how, he goes, I don't know how you're standing. And I'm like, I'm going to the gym. Like I, it was not, not normal. Like he honestly did not know how I was standing and I was dancing and going to the gym and like, it was, (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it's, It's again. Your body is such a crazy, crazy machine. Like it's amazing what we put it through. That's why. I mean, I abused my body so many years, and I I hated my body for so many years and judged it. And now I will never do like my poor body. Between the stuff that I did to it and life did to it, Mm -hmm. the fact that it's working and it works well, I don't care what it. I don't care like if it gets bigger, if it changes. Like I. I am just so grateful. I'm so grateful
0: to it that it stuck, <laughs> it stuck, it stuck with me <laughs> and hasn't really let me down. So your book tells us about the moment that you kind of realized you had to stop living like this. Yeah. Um, but yeah. how do you begin, I guess, to move on? Like what happens after? Like you're like okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like then what? Like how do you get to where you are today? Well, see, that's the thing is that I had to go through that twice
2: because, like I said, so the first time, yeah, it was me saying we can't do this anymore. And I remember I had a therapist at the time, and he's like, you can't do this anymore. And um, I, I can't even. It was a long time ago, so I can't really remember exactly. But I do know that I. I found, uh, I found a program um, and that helped a lot, like getting my food under control because once I got my food in a place that was healthy and, and I started sleeping because I wasn't, didn't have the crazy hours anymore. So between, once you're eating properly and you're sleeping properly, it's amazing how much better your decision-making is. (laughs) Yeah. It's It's shocking. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) Unbelievable. So that was the first thing. And then when I came out of my eating disorder program, I mean, the thing is, you have to understand, I started, my eating disorder kicked in at 17. I was in my 30s when I went into the program and 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 it was bad. I remember going, I went for my assessment it was at a hospital and they had two programs and one was like a three-day-a-week outpatient and the other one was like five or seven days a week and you were there all day and it was a major thing and I thought well I can't do that like that's plus I didn't think I was that bad and I had my assessment and then they said okay you need the full-time program because of how long I've been battling right. and how and I said I can't do are you kidding because the, the three-day week one for a few hours meant I wasn't able to pick my kids up from school those three days and that was Not acceptable. horrible to me yeah. but I had to do it so to do it five days a week or seven I said I, I won't I won't do it so I went to the other program, which ended up being perfect for me. And it, that, that was huge. And and coming out of that and having recovery, I remember coming out of the program and thinking, I never want to think about like body image issues or eating disorders again, because they'd ruled my life for so long, but (laughs) that's just unrealistic in this world. That's so ruled by diet Mm -hmm. culture. And my kids were in school. They were in elementary school. I absolutely hated the messages they were getting about health It was all about weight. and I would hear their friends talk about diet stuff in, in the car. and it made me crazy. And I went to the principal and I said, "I don't like this message, and I want to say something else." And he was like, "Come in on Friday, and I'm like, what? I'm sorry what? I had nothing. And I went in with the Bristol Board and I spoke to the eighth graders and told my story and just showed some pictures and, and it became a thing. I had no plans on it becoming a thing, but it was word of mouth. and then at the time, social media wasn't a thing. I mean, this is back in Facebook was just starting. So there weren't the, the body positivity profile. There wasn't there wasn't that. So what it was, was me seeing something on TV that I didn't like about dieting. Me, me hearing something on a radio show that I didn't like and, and calling the station and emailing the station and then being invited onto the show. And then I became the go-to for issues mm-hmm. on body image, especially relating to kids. And I created this program where I took into school. I went into schools, Fit Versus Fiction. Um, to break down the the myths around body image and eating disorders. And that gave me a sense of purpose too. And so that really made me feel like, okay, you know what? Like I'm contributing and and it was important to me. And I really wanted to hopefully help other kids stop them from going through what I went through. I I hated the, the, the stress that I put my mother through. Watching me kill myself. And and so I wanted to help other parents not feel powerless. But like I said, so that was the first kind of like, okay, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. But like I said, at some point, I hit this wall, where every time I would do something on TV, let's say, I was afraid that somebody would come out and go, uh, no, cause I, she used to do this. So she used to, like, I, I was afraid my kids were going to find
0: out cause they didn't know. Wait, she was giving talks in school. Do you know she was a straight yeah, Exactly, exactly. Do you know where I exactly. met this woman and what I did with her? Like, <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. I, 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 let me tell you. So there's one thing I talk about in the book, one story um, where I had just done a workshop at a school and I'm at the grocery store with my kids and I'm walking through an aisle and this man passes by and he just looked at me and one of my kids said why is that man looking at you like that and I remember thinking okay and I said I don't know maybe he thinks he knows me and the thing is I don't I didn't recognize maybe he thought he knew me Uh maybe he thought maybe he was trying to flirt with me I don't know but in my head this is so terrible to say I'm like did I dance for him like I don't like (laughs) you know and (laughs) but it's I can it makes me laugh now because it's so absurd but I was Mortified, yeah. Like what if he says something in front of my kid? What? I mean, and now, and I, and this was probably 10 years after I was mm-hmm. doing that. Like, this is a long time after. So mm-hmm. it, it shows like it, it had its grips on it. Like I was terrified. And I just, I was, had I was carrying so much shame that I couldn't do it anymore because all of a sudden I'm supposed to be standing in front of people telling them how to feel self-confident. And I felt like the worst person in the world. Right. And and so it, 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 it leveled me again. And I still, like I said, I, I was not in a loving relationship at this time and I felt very, very alone. And I, I went through a very, very dark period. And, and again, I had this, this incident that changed everything for me again. Um, Mm. and this was with like a stranger who said something to me and I talk about in the book and I kind of went, you know what, like, maybe it's not supposed to end here. Maybe, maybe I haven't gone through everything I went through for it to end here. And that was probably, I mean, I didn't make the changes immediately, but I decided, okay, I'm I'm done crying. I'm done feeling weak. I'm going to get my, my life together. And it's probably took another year or two before I left my marriage. And that was really where things changed. And it's, it's a scary thing to do. Um, But I knew I had to make some changes uh, if, if there was any hope of me being, happy at all. I mean, part of it also was that I talk about my kids, you know, and I wanted my kids to be happy. And Mm -hmm. the thing is also, you know, my mother had a very hard life, but she was love personified. And I still, even though she had a hard life, I, I, when I picture her, I picture her smiling and I picture her laughing. And I thought, I don't, I felt like I'd gotten to the point where my kids would only remember me being sad. Or being angry or being stressed and I thought I don't that's not me that's not what I want and I knew that I had to make changes if if I if 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 I was going to be if they were going to see who I really am then I had to release myself of, of the life that I was re- I felt trapped in and and that mm-hmm. meant leaving my marriage and yeah, since then I mean that was about six years ago and and I feel like I've changed. <laughs> I feel like I've been a different person every year, you know, I'm constantly evolving and changing and growing and it's not easy in a lot of ways, but oh my god, it was the absolute best thing I could have done. So I mean, like I said there were there was the the, the change from getting out of that crazy period of my life, but then it was also getting myself out of the shame and it wasn't until I was able to release the shame. I mean, I say in my book, my book is dedicated to anyone who may be struggling to forgive themselves for the mistakes they made when they were just trying to survive. And that's what I realized. I realized I was doing the best I could with what I had. I was, I was doing the best that I could just to get through it. And would I do the same things now? Of course not. But now I'm stronger. Now I have the tools. Now now I know. Then I didn't. And so I was able to forgive myself. And that's, has been That's been the change. That's yeah. everything. I, and writing the book, look, all these secrets that I was terrified of everyone finding out. Okay, I put in the book and released it. I mean, <laughs> that's insane. But but now
0: nobody
2: can, shame, nobody can shame you when you're not ashamed. So anybody can yeah. come at me with anything from my past, and I'm like, yeah, page forty-seven. Like it's not. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you can't hurt me, you know, anymore. And there's a lot of power in that. And that's, mm-hmm. that's been the huge, that's incredibly liberating. When you really don't care, we. I had to get to a point where for the first time in my life, I was okay with me. It was the first time in my life where, listen, I have a lot of things I need to learn and I'm still growing and all that, but I like who I am as a person. I feel like I'm a pretty decent person. Um, I've never, I haven't felt like that since I was 10 years old. And so for me, it was a point of, being liked isn't as important as being healthy. And in, in taking care of myself and being honest with myself, I actually found that I thought people weren't going to like the real me, but actually mm. they connect with that more anyway. But because I got to the point, like I knew I couldn't, re- I couldn't write the book or release the book until I was okay with me because I didn't know how people were going to be. I really expected yeah. people to not like me afterward. And I had to be okay with, even my kids, there was the chance that my kids would be mad and I, I was going to ask okay about that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because listen, that they were the only ones I cared about. Like their, their opinion is the is the only one. However, I also knew as crazy as this may sound, I also knew that if they were mad at me, let's say for stuff that happened or, or for writing it, or, I was going to be okay with that because I felt like they would understand at some point, like it was just my truth. I wasn't, doing anything now this is who I am whether I talk about it or don't talk about it whether I write about it or don't write about it this stuff happens and this is me and 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 that's not going to change and so once I was okay with that what anybody else thought of it didn't matter and I say this I say this all the time I was more I was so afraid of the secrets coming out but I was more it wasn't the secrets that were hurting me it was that fear that was holding me back. And so once I let go of that fear, it wasn't so scary anymore. And the hard part, and this is what I say all the time, the hard part was going through what I went through. And I survived that. So being judged for it. I'm not going to kill me. You know, you you want to judge me for how I survived? You do that. I'm going to be proud of myself that I survived. And nobody can right. take that away from me. Yes. And I don't care if you don't like how I did it. I did it. You try and get through what I went through in a pretty way. Good for you. I couldn't this, this was my, this is the way I did it. And that's, I can't, I'm not going to criticize myself for that anymore. I'm here and that's all that
0: matters. Yes. But I also think like, I love the way that you're kind of like the framework that you have for all of this, because I think it really, can apply to so many people going through so many different scenarios that we're just like, we're trying to get through it. And, and sometimes maybe people make not great decisions, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. And Jen and I were out for breakfast, breakfast yesterday. Yeah. And we had this, this topic of like doing the best that you can. And like, sometimes your best is great. And sometimes your best means that you do nothing that day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, And that is what it is. And so many people are going through that. And then it also kind of gives that, I guess, like for me listening to you talk about your story and the way that you coped with that also kind of gives some perspective for how other people are coping with their problems or their traumas too. Right. Like who am I to judge? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Like (laughs) we're not walking in their shoes and,
2: Mm-hmm.
0: None of us have ever done this before,
2: any of it And it's very, you know, it's such a waste of energy to judge somebody else too. Like I don't, I, I but people do it all the time. <laughs> they do it all the time. They do it all the time. But I, I have no, I have no patience for that. I feel like I, I always say I sort of relate best to people who have been through some stuff and made mistakes and fallen down yeah. and gotten back up and fallen down again and gotten back. Mm-hmm. I feel there is usually less judgments there. I, I think yes. it's great if you haven't. I think it's great if you've kind of sailed through and. Huh, that's listen I, I I'm not one of those people I say this, <laughs> I don't I'm i not that but I'm also not I'm also not I'm also not one of those people that will say to you my trauma you know made me who I am and and I'm grateful for I'm not I if I had the choice <laughs> I would love to to have had to have everybody that I love still here and to not have any worries and to listen, I'm not going to be martyr. I'm not, I'm not wearing my, my trauma, like a, a medal. I'm not, mm-hmm. but I, I do think there's something, it's, it's an interesting thing that when I released the book and the messages that I got from people who, again, I thought, I thought I was going to lose people. And yeah. the messages that I got from people saying that, of course they couldn't relate to certain things. You know, my stepfather was a bank robber and all the craziness that went on in my life. <laughs> but they couldn't relate to the, to. but they could, everyone's had loss. Everyone's had self-esteem yeah. issues. Everybody's had relationship stuff. Like there is stuff there. And, and again, I think part of it was that there's, I, I've I had somebody say, even about my brother I had somebody message me and said that she lost her brother. She was about the same age as me. And she said she'd never seen it articulated before the way that that I did. So it was it because there, there isn't really a lot of information on, especially back then on siblings and things like that. And, So I think it's not the, the pretty stuff that connects us all the time. Mm -hmm. It's the dirt. It's the grittiness. It's, it's when you can, when we look at the stuff that we are mistakes and we think they're so huge and we think they're so shameful. And then you see somebody that you like, and then you hear their story and they go, Oh, Oh, they did that. And you still think they're pretty cool. Then you go, Oh, okay. So maybe I'm being a little hard on myself. You know, maybe I'm pretty cool too. Well, that's it. Like I, and, and also I think because a lot of people won't talk about the, the dirty stuff and the, the gritty stuff and, and all that, we feel alone. So I felt like such a horrible person because I thought my stories were so, like they was just, they're so unique. And in some ways they were, but, but I, I felt like nobody had done anything like this. So I'm a terrible person. And then when I shared it, I had people that I even, people I knew who I didn't know. Some of the stuff from their past, and they messaged me, and they didn't, they weren't open about it, nor do they have to be. But there were things in their past, and they felt like, oh my god, like somebody else. And then you realize, oh, you too. And then you you don't feel so alone. And I think, I think it's so important. I wish that we could be more honest mm-hmm. about the, the the yucky stuff. You
1: know, like I'm I. That's like the reason why we're doing this. Yeah, (laughs) is because it's is there the power that's in our stories and that how our stories can connect us and unify us and build greater empathy for the human
0: experience. And I think, at least for me, and I think Jen will probably agree, but like at least for me, like part of doing this podcast is that I really was going through some shit and didn't feel like I could talk about the yuckiness or the messiness or whatever, because it's not encouraged people don't want to hear it. And there's all this, um, like part of the reason that I got into this podcast was, um, that I was diagnosed with cancer and I had two young children, but there's this whole rhetoric around like staying positive, right? Mm. Like if you have cancer, you just have to be positive all the time. And I was Scared. I was really scared and it was a really dark time and I didn't know how to cope, but also really didn't have an outlet, had never really heard anybody else maybe express what I was Ah, feeling. So important. And like there is, like we're just supposed to be happy and positive all the time and just avoid these kind of uncomfortable topics. Well, and it's pervasive because
1: I... Have talked to friends who are going, who I've found out are going through shit, and it's like, how how are you? Like, how are you really? And like, I would think because of my own personal story that they would know. I like actually want to know, right? How you really are. You can be honest with me, and it's <laughs> but still, it's still, so- but it's still, but they, it's still glossed over. People are still uncomfortable, even in that just like one-on-one conversation where I'm. Well, like, I, I, bring it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that you know it speaks to me so much what you
2: what you guys were saying because there is the thing where you can god I'm going to get specific now cuz that but that, if that's okay it reminded me my mother when she was diagnosed with breast cancer one of the times she had it several times. And I remember I it was around the time that Lance Armstrong was it was before he was called out for the drug use this was before that. It was when he had cancer and I remember my mother was going through chemo and I remember it was like, you'd, all you hear is Lance had his chemo treatment and then he was on his bike for four hours. And, and I thought, son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> like I remember my and mother saying, like, like, this is the standard. Well, that was it. I remember my mother thinking like, like I, I remember it affecting her. And I remember thinking like, you know, what would have been more of a gift to people going through cancer? If he would have said today, I rode my bike yesterday, I slept because I was exhausted. And that be yeah. uh, like it's it's I'm like that's not like that. And of course I feel okay saying it now because <laughs> he wasn't such a great role model anyway. But but I thought that that is the problem with our society. It's like, oh, she has cancer, but she went back to work right after her. That's great. No, that's not, but that's not okay. Like that's the thing. It's yeah. it's okay for us to have dealt with the death of somebody, to be dealing with illness. It's okay to talk about it as long as you've got this happy spin. Like you were saying, as long as there's this positivity spin
1: mm-hmm. at the
2: end of it, then people are okay with it. Well, you know? it's and, like and
1: that's how you were saying, I won't say I'm thankful for my trauma. But that, but that and that's exactly it. Yeah. You know, how many
2: times, and I've, I've said this and I made videos about it, where people have said, I can't, if I'd be a millionaire, if I had a, a dime for every time somebody said what I said earlier, which is you, but you wouldn't be who you are today with that bullshit. I would still be without my traumas. I believe I would still be who I am. I just would have taken a different route to
1: get here. Well, but in who's but it, to it, say it, that, who that person would, be, even if you wouldn't be who you are, like what's wrong, like what's wrong with that? Well, that's it. I <laughs> Maybe would you were going to be a great person anyways. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs>
2: it, but that's it. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, I'm not, It's and I'm not going to get my, my, my trauma. Back, but, but yeah, I think, I think people are so uncomfortable with other people's stuff and it's it's funny because i remember it's probably still to this day but not as not as much especially because i wrote about it but more when i was younger when somebody would ask me a question about my family and i'd be like okay now i gotta tell them everyone's dead and i thought oh i'm gonna make them uncomfortable you know and i was i was so worried about how they were gonna feel so i'd always be like i'm okay though but i'm okay you know? Yes. Yeah. I have to do that all
1: the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Isn't that yeah. amazing? Like it's just Well, I say it quickly because I don't want to the like falling face and the oh. oh I'm so sorry. It's like oh, okay, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm good. I don't need yeah. your I don't I don't need that. But
0: even like just what you were saying, I didn't have a father growing up. And like that made people feel uncomfortable when they asked about my family right? Like some people were like, oh, so what do your parents do? And I'd be like, oh, like it's just my mom. And they'd look at me like they felt sorry for me or they pitied me or, you know, and then I like kind of like developed as I got older, like ways of saying things like, well, you know, I'm better off and like my, my mom is really loving and stable and like whatever, like just to make them feel better to reassure them to reassure, them, them. Feel comfortable yeah. to reassure <laughs> them that like it's okay and like i'm i'm a school teacher now and i think last year i was talking to my students and they're 10 and i told them that i grew up without a father and even then they were like these little faces and they all look so sad and they're like i am so sorry miss gibbon and I'm like, it's, I'm okay. <laughs> like, and one of the reasons that I share that with them is because I want them to know that like, there are different families. Yeah. But I, we're still, it's been a million years of yeah. mother, father. Like,
2: you know, I mean, now now there's just mother or just father or two moms or two dads or yeah. Like there's a million different things now, but it's still, look, it's the traditional is still yeah. the traditional, you know, even though it doesn't work a lot of the time but I think that's anything that sort of veers away from that is still going to be, huh, is the kid. Okay. Is thing you know, are you okay? It's it's still Mm going to be like, I think we do live in a society that's very judgmental and, and for some reason, I don't know if it's because I feel like I've been through worse. You know what I mean? Like my brother's gone. My mother's gone. I I've been through a lot of crap. So I survived that. Like nothing is going to make me feel worse than that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. So, you know, somebody not liking me or somebody saying something or somebody trying to hurt my reputation, like that, it's okay. Like it just, that's not going to do it. But I do love getting messages from people who tell me they feel less alone. Like I I love that because I'm proud of myself for sharing my story, even though I'm not proud of everything that's in it. You know, I'm, I'm proud that I,
1: it's like a way of it's, it's, and something that comes up often is how we make meaning of, you know, these horrible things that have happened to us or these, you know, the way the choices we make as a result of horrible things happening to, happening to us. And it, it helps us make peace. I think by making meaning and, and,
2: and. It gives you the courage to make more choices. Like I've, it's given me the courage to do more things and go, okay, so you know what? I revealed that and I'm good. I'm still standing. What else do I want to do? Like, yeah. Yeah. Where, and, and, and I feel the freedom to kind of explore and evolve and change and, And I'm not afraid of changing my mind. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of
0: failing. I, oh my God, you know, at all. But I think when you, you know, you're sharing that, your story and you're, like you said, like you were able to release that shame. I think that's also part of the growth and the healing, if that's what you want to call it. Like that comes from that Mm -hmm. because holding the shame over the way that maybe we responded or decisions that we've made in our lives is also really damaging, mm-hmm. huge. Because I think you have one go in this world. That's sort of how I see it. And, and
2: at my age too, I, I, I see all the time there's more years behind me than ahead of me. And I really felt like, I don't want to get to the end of my life and feel like that I held myself back. I feel like I, I, I couldn't be everything I wanted to be. And I don't mean that as far as success and things like that, I just mean Marcy. Like I want to be as Marcy, as I want to be. And, and they're going to, they're people that love it. And there are people that are really annoyed by it. I'm sure. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just what feels good for me. As long as I'm
0: not hurting anybody, you know, right. intentionally. How do your kids feel about your story now that your book is out and they've, I assume, So they it? won't, no, they will not read it. They
2: won't. They read won't. Like Interesting. They, no, no. And they shouldn't. I don't hold back. And there's things you don't need to read about your mother. So have you told them not to read it? No, they just don't want, like they're not super interested in the stuff that I, that I write. anyway. I would love for them to read it when they're my age, you know, like in their fifties. Yeah. I think, you know what the truth is maybe selfishly I'd like for them to read it later on because I, I think they would understand me more if they knew my whole story. Cause they, they don't know, but what they do know. And I look, the title has the word stripper in it. So I had to, I had to tell them. <laughs> yeah. <stuff>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But they were unbelievably supportive, like from the get. Like nothing fazed them. Both of my kids. So my younger son, I remember him saying, "When was this? Like how long ago? Like you did that? What like fifteen years ago? Why do I? We don't like." And he and he said like it's that I don't care. Don't worry about it. Like it wasn't. He wasn't bothered by it. And then my older son said, "You keep saying that you made mistakes." He goes, "But you also keep saying that you wanted us to be really happy, and we are really happy. So whatever you did, maybe they weren't mistakes." And so. Because of the, the craziness with me not sleeping and, and and being up for all these crazy hours, I was there. It wasn't like they're they're thinking, Oh, that's why she wasn't home. Right. No, they don't remember me not being helped. They As remember they me being at the park with him yeah. and creating scavenger hunts for their friends and obstacle courses and taking the like they, they they remember so that they had no clue that this was going on. Like they had no clue. Mm-hmm. And they both said, No, we got your back. And so I'm very I'm very lucky that way. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I want them. Look, I, I, I want them to know that they can mess up and that they cannot be perfect. Yes. And and but to try, like I don't I also don't want them to worry about what other people think. And I want them to be whoever they want to be and take whatever paths they need to go. And I really have done the best I can. And that's all that you know, I say all the time too, my mom didn't realize I I know that she didn't think she was a great parent and she was spectacular I mean if I could be a quarter of the parent that she was I'd be thrilled and and she made some mistakes but to me all that showed me was you can make mistakes as a parent and still be Mm -hmm. fantastic and I think it's it's worse to have your kids think that you're perfect and that you need to be perfect I think that sets them up to feel like they need to do the same thing so if, if anything they learned from me it's that it's okay to be to be human and to just try Just try to be
0: a good person. That's it. Absolutely, I think that's kind of what I don't know. We all need to learn that, (laughs) right? (laughs) Thank you so much for talking to us. We
1: will share info on how people can contact you and pick up your
0: book in the show notes. We're gonna, we're actually gonna give away a copy, yes, of your book, yes, and I'll
2: personalize them for you. So let me know who wins. Yes. Oh,
0: wonderful. That would be amazing. Okay, so we will let you know how you can enter to win a copy of Marcy's Book.
1: Yes, thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode
1: with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.